Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. Hey, welcome to the Three Martini Lunch for Tuesday. We're glad you're here. Jim Garrity is from National Review. He's also the author of Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America, and we're thrilled and pleased to report that our ominous prediction from yesterday did not come true. There will not be 15 crazy martinis this week. There will probably still be a lot, but today we have good, bad, and crazy martinis. So that's considered an upgrade from yesterday. Let's start with our good. Elizabeth Warren and Mark Zuckerberg uh, going back and forth here over the fate of Facebook. Should Elizabeth Warren actually become the next president of the United States? Elizabeth Warren has talked about the need to break up big tech. She's even a big fan of the hashtag break up big tech. So Zuckerberg was at uh, some event talking about this. This was recorded by TheVerge.com. And here's what uh, Zuck had to say about uh, what he thinks will happen if Elizabeth Warren actually becomes our president. Answers to break up the companies, um, you know. I mean, if she gets elected president, then I would I would bet that we will have a legal challenge, and I would bet that we will win the legal challenge. Does that still suck for us? Yeah. I mean, I don't have to, you know, have a major lawsuit against our own government. I mean, that's not like the position that you want to be in when you're, you know. I mean, it's like we we care about our country and like want to work with our government to do good things. And um, but but look, at the end of the day, if someone's going to try to threaten something that existential, you go to the mat and you fight. Well, Elizabeth Warren is responding to that, and I'll try to do this in my best Elizabeth Warren hushed outrage voice, uh, Jim. <laughs> what would really suck is if we don't fix a corrupt system that lets giant companies like Facebook engage in illegal anti-competitive practices, stomp on consumer privacy rights, and repeatedly fumble their responsibility to protect our democracy. Uh, Jim, this is a fun food fight. Uh, Elizabeth Warren wants the government to be way too involved in these things. And at the same time, uh, Facebook uh, and their privacy concerns. And uh, I know there's been a lot of uh, concerns about their impact politically and what they'll censor and what they won't and that sort of thing. So uh, which side are you taking on this? I'm rooting for injuries, Greg. (laughs) Uh, But also let me point out, move over Kate McKinnon. I like Greg's version of Elizabeth Warren. (laughs) There has to be more of that stern librarian. I told you not to whistle in here. So the fact that Elizabeth Warren is saying that the lack of competition has led to um, bad results, bad outcomes, bad treatment of people, no option for people who aren't satisfied with the service that they're getting. So what if the government did that in healthcare? What if we did, say, a Medicare for all system where everybody had to get their health care? What would happen there? So choice is really good in tech, but it's not good in health care. OK, got it. Glad to hear that. Um, yeah, because, you know, there are a bunch of reasons to uh, be irritated with Facebook. And I think one of the things really kind of fascinating about that is that Mark Zuckerberg really seems to be oblivious to the fact that I'm curious about how many listeners are feeling as they're listening to that audio of Mark Zuckerberg speaking, where he says, boy, you know, we want to work with our government. We don't want to be in a situation where we're fighting our government in court. Bull crud. (laughs) (laughs) I heard that. We're really sorry about that giant data breach. And oh, we're really sorry that we allowed all that data about you to be sold. And we're really sorry. How many times has Facebook apologized to the 2016 election over one, you know, we're sorry our devices were secretly recording you the whole time. We're sorry. Oh, my goodness. You know, so the idea that, you know, 
Mark Zuckerberg is some sort of innocent victim here who is just minding his own business. But all of a sudden, the government came along and punched him and took his lunch money. Um, just isn't going to hold water here. On the other hand, there's no reason to think that Elizabeth Warren's, you know, what irks us about Facebook is what's going to irk her about Facebook. And I love this really generic, they fumbled their opportunity to defend their democracy. What's the wording of that there, Greg? Yeah, repeatedly fumble their responsibility to protect our democracy. Okay. Um, where in the Constitution does it list a responsibility of defending democracy for some snot-nosed punk in Silicon Valley? <laughs> Right. I mean, technically, it's the duty of the government to do that sort of thing. And, you know, intelligence agencies and uh, law enforcement agencies. Facebook can't arrest anybody. Right. They can ban somebody, but they can't. You know, there's no Facebook police that's rolling around trying to nail people for what they post. Um, Facebook has done more to try to take down accounts. Once you prove that this is coordinated activity from overseas trying to influence an election, Facebook is doing a better job with this for all their, you know, all their other flaws and all their other problems. The other thing worth noting here is that, look, yeah, I think you can indisputably say the guys who were creating Facebook were kind of like, you think about it, insanely naive when they created it. Like We created it to help the world connect with each other, but not the bad people. Bad people can't connect with you. Only the good people will connect. No, <laughs> you create this, you know, content neutral platform that allows anybody to connect to anybody. Guess what? You're going to have people posting videos of them beating each other up. You're going to have people harassing each other. You're going to have people uh, trying to put disinformation out there and running hoaxes. And, and you know, like, guess what? All social media does is reflect the full spectrum of human nature. And there's going to be a lot of bad stuff up there. And for a really long time, Facebook was like, look, we're not a media company. We're not in charge of the content. We're not the editors of the newspaper. We're just the printing press. Or because everybody can contribute to it, maybe the better way of saying it is, we're not in charge of what gets written on the bathroom stall door. We're just the creator of the bathroom stall door that anybody can write whatever they want, including for a good time, call Jenny at 8675309. Um, <laughs> God help you if that actually is your phone number. Or maybe you think it's really cool. Maybe you tell people you're Jenny every day just for the fun. They, they've always had this contradiction and they've kind of, you know, tried to kick the can down the road and all the apologies and we're trying harder and all that kind of stuff. Look, we shouldn't be surprised the government has, has you know, reached the, the breaking point. You know, you can either have this kind of the, the legislation that might work its way through divided government or if Democrats take the, the, the House, Senate and presidency next year, I think it's going to look, you know, Silicon Valley is going to look really different. And I don't think all the big donations of the world are going to make that much of a difference because uh, there are a whole bunch of Democrats who are just furious with the. Uh, you know, Facebook is prominent, but honestly, all the big tech companies these days. Silver lining here, though, Jim. Remember a couple of weeks back at the start of the NFL season, we had our kind of fake Democrat fantasy draft, and I had Elizabeth Warren as my second-round pick, and I said the reason I wanted to do that was because she'd be the total scold on the team, getting in everybody's face whenever they made the slightest little mistake. And look at her line there that we just talked about. She's criticizing Facebook for repeatedly fumbling the responsibility to protect our democracy. So if a, a running back coughs it up a couple times in a game and they re feel really bad about it, they'll feel 10 times worse because Elizabeth Warren will never let them live it down the rest of the game and probably the rest of the season. The kind of glare that could make somebody <laughs> burst into flame. Oh, man. All right. Let's talk about our bad martini now, Jim. Today is October 1st, and uh, it's also apparently the day that uh, the Chinese commemorate their wonderful, murderous, genocidal revolution. Those aren't all the adjectives they use. Uh, they probably consider it glorious. But 1949, Mao Zedong, uh, the communist takeover in China. 
And so today they have their giant military parade. They claim they've got nukes that can reach us in half an hour and all sorts of other things. And so how do you respond when one of the world's most repressive regimes and certainly uh, over the past 70 years most repressive? uh, What's the proper response for the United States? It's not this. This is President Trump's tweet this morning. It's pretty simple. Congratulations to President Xi and the Chinese people on the 70th anniversary of the People's Republic of China. Jim, tens of millions of people have been slaughtered as a result of this government. And even as the president typed that out on whatever device, the people of Hong Kong are being repressed. One was actually shot with a live round today, and the protesters are getting hammered uh, with more violence day after day. Then you got the Uyghurs who are in concentration camps. You got people having organs harvested, according to some reports, while they're still alive. So, uh, yeah, let's celebrate all this. Yeah. So there's something kind of frustrating about President Trump on this. And and this is a little different from the usual complaint. Um, Because there are, as I've written a couple times throughout the year, and I've got another corner post in the works on this, you can make the argument that President Trump is broadly correct in the way he's handling China. On, particularly on trade, by making the argument of, you know what, for, for the last 20, 30 years, we have become much more economically intertwined with China. It was supposed to make them more like us. It has not worked. It has, in fact, in power, it's not given us more leverage over them. It has given them more leverage over us. And if you doubt that, Nike canceled a, stri- a stream of uh, a, a line of sneakers. Um, this was not, this is different from the Colin Kaepernick one. Uh, because one of their uh, executives said something in support of the Hong Kong uh, uh, protesters. And the Chinese government was up in arms about this, and they quickly said that they were going to deal with it. Uh, they completely knuckled under very quickly. So, you know, boy, oh boy, Nike's really tough on Betsy Ross and the American flag. But uh, <laughs> when the Chinese government says jump, their response is how high? Um, you mentioned the stolen intellectual property. People forget China hacked all the records of the Office of Personnel Management a few years ago, closing years of the Obama administration. Um, you mentioned the, the Chinese military and those man-made islands in the South Chinese China Sea. Throughout the Obama administration, they kept saying, look, it's not for military purposes. It's not for military purposes. We're just going to dock fishing boats there. No, they're mil- whole things are military bases these days pushing forward in artificial intelligence research. Boy, let's combine Chinese government and Skynet. What could go wrong there? You know, just you go down the line. There's a ton of reasons to really look at China and say, wow, this is arguably the most dangerous force on earth right now. Uh, I went back and I checked, Greg. The good news is President Trump talked about China for eight paragraphs in his speech at the United Nations last month. That's the good news. The bad news is that of those eight paragraphs, seven were about the trade policies and how America was not going to get uh, swindled again and it's been unfair and globalist. And, uh, and then there was one paragraph about Hong Kong. Now, again, I think you can make the argument that the, you know, attempting to disentangle ourselves from China on policies of trade is actually long term better for the United States, that the, our, our effort engagement has not worked. It is, tr- it is time to look at China. Clearly, it is time to treat them as the adversary that they seem to be determined to become. But the result is, I, I'd kind of like a more full-spectrum effort at opposition. Yes, I'm upset about their trade policies. Yes, I'm under about U.S. jobs you know, heading over there. But I'm also, you know, these strip-mining people of their organs sounds pretty bad. You know, mm-hmm. two million Uyghurs in, in concentration camp. Like, remember when concentration camps used to be the sort of thing that make you sit up and take it and say, oh, my God. We got to do something about that. Even if we're not going to invade, we got to very least, you know, fight that with every fiber of our being. You know, everyone said never again after the Holocaust. What do you think the Chinese want to do with the Uyghurs? 
if not outright exterminate them, then to wipe out their culture and convince them to drop their faith traditions, drop all non-Chinese characteristics of their culture and go out and be good little Chinese citizens. They want to reprogram people. And if they institute this kind of Orwellian social uh, monitoring system and social credits and all that kind of stuff, they'll be able to do it. They'll have an unparalleled level of control over the lives of their citizens. So all this stuff feels like it's worth mentioning. And the idea that, you know, Trump would hear this and say, hey, happy 70th anniversary. I don't understand this guy. It's like good cop and bad cop are in the same guy. And he picks the least useful moments to exhibit good cop. And he really is kind of AWOL when it comes to the moments where we need bad cop. It's, it's kind of, you know, very frustrating that this is a president who seems to see this country almost entirely through the lens of trade policy and seems to have very few, very, a very little level of at least discernible interest in these other topics, which seem as consequential, and I would argue more consequential even than trade policy. Yeah, I did a quick Google search because the 70th anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution happened during the Reagan administration. I couldn't find any statement that he released that day, but 1987 was also the year of the tear down this wall speech. So uh, that's about the closest thing I could find to it. And of course, there's the evil empire speech from a few years before that. So I don't think Reagan was uh, cheering on 70 years uh, since the October Revolution of 1917. Uh, the silver lining here is uh, Congress members Gallagher and Cheney, Republicans in the House, put out a statement today saying from the tens of millions who starved to death during Mao Zedong's Great Leap Forward to the students who stared down tanks in Tiananmen Square to the millions of Uyghurs who have languished in concentration camps and now to the courageous people of Hong Kong, the CCP, Communist Chinese Party's appalling record of repression is clear. So at least some people understand what the day really means. Could the president mention some of that stuff? <laughs> we kill him? Really? Let's go to our uh, crazy martini today, Jim. And of course, uh, impeachment fever has taken over Washington, D.C. It only was on a very brief hiatus since uh, the day Bob Mueller testified and people were pretty much underwhelmed. But now it's back and now we're on the fast track and we've got subpoenas on Rudy Giuliani and the State Department. and All this stuff is moving forward. And the media has plenty of different moving parts to cover on that. But instead, oh, they're covering hashtags about fantasies that will never ever happen. So Washington Post, what happens when a Democratic Speaker of the House, third in line to the presidency, according to the Presidential Succession Act of 1947, is suddenly thrust into the Oval Office, succeeding a Republican president and vice president who resign embroiled in scandal? Such a scenario is attracting attention. Hashtag President Pelosi was trending on social media after last week's announcement of an impeachment inquiry. Even though it may seem far-fetched that President Trump and Vice President Pence would be forced from office over abuse of power related to the administration's dealings with Ukraine or other misdeeds. Uh, so, Jim, uh, he probably will at this point be impeached in the House. We'll see if it actually happens. But the Democrats seem to be intent on on doing that. Uh, getting a conviction of just Trump in the Senate seems to be virtually impossible. Not sure why everyone thinks Pence would suddenly follow uh, just automatically after that. And of course, we got an election in 2020. So uh, basically, they're covering a hashtag that was trending. Uh, this is what democracy is doing in the daylight. I was going to say, for people who are obviously, look, for a lot of our listeners, you know, impeachment is issue 1A. It's, it's going to dominate the news for probably the next six months or so. And look, you know, I think people, I'm mean, trying to be pretty clear on my views. And people say, well, what's the difference between a never Trumper and a Democrat these days? Well, I'll show you. 
you know, because, you know, some Democrat will come up to me, Jim, God, you, you seem to get it on Trump. Isn't Trump just an unbelievably crass and boorish individual? Yes. Yes, I completely agree. Uh, isn't Trump just seem to be uh, flying by the seat of his pants and he sees stuff on TV and he starts tweeting about it? And yes, yes, yes. In some ways, it seems like Trump doesn't even pay attention to his intelligence briefings. And he just, you know, rambles on about things. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. And he's pro-life. And then, you know, this is the moment where I'd say, wait, are you sure about that? I mean, I mean he's appointing pro-life judges, but this seems like a pretty convenient late-in-life uh, conversion on this issue. And then they'll say, God, he and Pence have to go. And that's when I turn into <laughs> Gary Coleman. I say, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> because none of the stuff they've complained about really applies to Mike Pence. I mean, you can disagree with Mike Pence. That's fine. The issues related to Mike Pence, the flaws, I think at the very least you'd be able to say the human flaws associated with Mike Pence, assuming he has any, um, are very different from the human flaws associated with Donald Trump. I remember even you know, Pence made this joke during his acceptance speech at the Republican convention in Cleveland. He's like, clearly Trump wanted somebody who reminded him of himself. And everyone <laughs> laughed because obviously Pence and Trump are completely different personalities. And the everything lamented about Trump and what he's doing really doesn't apply to Pence. It's not, you don't see Pence pons- you know, possibly sending money through his lawyer to Stormy Daniels, okay? When Democrats start saying, no, no, we got to impeach both of them at the same time. Actually, I should step back a second before I get to that argument. When people say, yes, Trump is bad, but you know, Vice President Pence would turn us into Gilead from The Handmaid's Tale, then I know you're not that serious because your argument is not that Donald Trump is uniquely unqualified for the presidency or that his actions are uniquely criminal. You just are trying to say, well, I don't like this Republican for this reason, and I don't like that Republican for that reason. Ergo, the only proper court. Like, by the way, I didn't see any of these guys saying, oh, let's build a broad bipartisan consensus to impeach both of these guys in the first two years and then have President Paul Ryan. Because I would have been fine with that too. <laughs> didn't, didn't, hear, didn't hear anybody saying, ooh, could we get Paul, President Paul Ryan these days? And may I remind you, America, you came very close to having that option in 2012, and you chose otherwise. So don't complain now. But then the next thing is when they say, no, we got to impeach both of these at the same time. Well, you're basically saying you want Nancy Pelosi to be president of the United States. If you want Nancy Pelosi to be president of the United States, she should run and she should get elected. They, they go, this whole argument of, no, this isn't about partisanship. No, this isn't about relitigating the 2016 election. No, this isn't a long three going on four year temper tantrum over the results of that night. This is only about the crimes. Oh, by the way, we got to impeach both of them simultaneously. You know, it just doesn't add up. And I, I think you know, the great irony is I think the Washington Post is doing the cause of impeachment a disservice by running that op-ed. Because for one, I haven't heard that much serious talk amongst congressional Democrats of saying, oh, yeah, we got to add Pence to this, too, and take out, you know, kill two birds with one stone, so to speak. Once you're doing that, you're not asking, you know, Senate Republicans to say, look, I know you don't want to impeach Trump. I know you're going to get in trouble with your base. You're probably going to lose a primary. But the guy really did commit crimes here, and there has to be a serious consequence. Like they, you could at least make that argument, and there's maybe a chance you get a couple of them. Romney look, might, you know, already sounds like he might be on board. If you say, Senate Republicans, we need your help to make Nancy Pelosi president of the United States, <laughs> that'd be the first time anybody's ever heard uh, Mitt Romney use a four-letter word. Get out of my office right now, politely. <laughs> Please close the door. Yes. <laughs> that's, uh... that's as unhinged as Mitt Romney gets. <laughs> Well, now you've got me thinking, Jim, because Nancy Pelosi would be the perfect geriatric addition to this presidential field. Bernie was born in 41, Biden 42, uh, Warren is 
70, if the Hillary rumors are true. They're not, yeah. uh, I don't think. Uh, she's in her 70s. Pelosi would be 80 uh, early next year. You know, that's not that much worse. And uh, I find it fascinating that the uh, target of our San Francisco liberal mockery over the past decade and a half is now considered to be not liberal enough because she dragged her feet on impeachment to this point. So maybe there is a lane for Nancy Pelosi. Who knows? You know, Greg, remember a couple of years ago, there was the Hillary ad against Obama in the 08 primary about the 3 a.m. phone call. Oh, yeah. Who do you want answering the phone when it rings at 3 a.m. and, you know, suggesting there's some foreign crisis on the other side of the world? You know, if all of our presidential options are going to sleep at like 6 p.m., <laughs> that 3 a.m. phone call doesn't seem that bad. They, they already caught the 4 p.m., you know, early bird special at Denny's. So. <laughs> Sorry, elder listeners. Jim, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review, also the author of Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. So glad you were with us today. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you don't already, and also leave us a nice review. We always appreciate that. And please be back here tomorrow, Wednesday, for the Three Martini Lunch.